Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. It's April 17th, 2018, day 21 of the Tex McIver murder trial, and the courtroom is packed as prosecution lawyers and Texas attorneys prepare to make their closing statements. Soon, all of us gathered in the courtroom expect to learn the fate of the Atlanta attorney charged with murdering his wife in 2016. Shocking. That's one word we're hearing over and over to describe this verdict. It was like the room stopped for a minute. Everyone was shocked by that. She said her stomach had been in knots. She felt nauseous all day. You know what he said to me? He says, there isn't anything they could do to me that is worse than the the hell I'm going to, knowing the person I love, my soulmate, that I'm responsible for her death. He said for the rest of my life that, that, you know, there isn't anything more cruel than that. I'm Caitlin Ross. This is Intent, the Tex McIver case, Chapter 7. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Closing statements from both sides are passionate, intense. Speaking for the prosecution, Fulton County District Attorney Kara Convery begins by talking about the concept of reasonable doubt. Um, If you guys are like me, this trial has completely consumed your life, and it's hard to find any time to run errands or do anything else. I'm sure your weekends are packed with that. So last weekend, I found some time to actually wash my car for the first time in about a month. And I have the pleasure of um, spending most of my weekend here in this building. So after I wash my car, I come down and I park on Central Avenue right in front of the courthouse. I get out of the car and I go in. And I spend the next few hours in here um, getting prepared to come address you all. When I come out to my car, I notice that my row of cars, which is right underneath a tree, is covered in this yellow dust. I know because of common sense because of reason, because all the circumstances surrounding the week, including the fact the judge told us that it was record-setting highs of pollen, that that is pollen on my car. And Mr. Samuel or Mr. Harvey might want to tell me, well, Kara, you didn't do any testing on the pollen. You didn't take a sample of the substance and send it off to the lab. You know it could be someone who came into the courthouse, a disgruntled employee, and hosed down the first row of cars with the yellow dust. It could be. It's possible. But it's not reasonable. You know beyond a reasonable doubt that that's pollen. And if you didn't, you would never get in your car and pull off. That is something that you do every day. You make inferences and you come to conclusions based on your life experiences. And this process is exactly the same. Your job is important, but your common sense is how you get there. 
During his closing argument for the defense, Don Samuel concludes that his client, well flawed, is not the villain he was made out to be by prosecutors. Samuel lays out a long list of doubts the defense has about the case, saying that if the jury believes even one of them, they'd have to find Tex McIver not guilty. I'm going to talk to you about doubts that exist about the state's theory and about the evidence that they've presented here. And I caution you as I begin, you don't need, I'm going to just list 16 the most prominent doubts. You don't need 16 doubts to return a verdict of not guilty. You just need one doubt, one reasonable doubt about the theory of the prosecution's case. Defense attorney Bruce Harvey also speaks to the jury one last time. This is a trial in which we have an accident in search of a motor. Mr. Samuel will talk to you about all of the evidence that was taking us down that track and that they were red herrings. This is a trial in which there was an accident and everybody, everybody involved in the incident has said it was an accident in search of some motive. In the prosecution's case, as Mr. Samuel has told you, is a tale of innuendos I'll talk to you about some of those, and undelivered promises. Harvey reviews the evidence in the case, eventually focusing his argument on Texas' handgun. All the experts, all the experts will agree that no, nobody, nobody can tell whether the firearm was in single action, nobody can tell. The trigger pull being two and a quarter pounds, or double action. I went through all this testimony about single action and double action, but nobody, no expert, and nobody can tell you, has told you whether it was in single action or, or double action. Nobody can tell you where it was before, before the shot was fired. And no expert can tell you, and nobody did. Everybody said to you, I can't tell you whether it was intentional or unintentional. He then addresses the state's argument that Tex's motive for the murder was related to financial concerns. There is no doubt, and here's the irony, there is no doubt that Tex McIver depended on his wife's money. There's no doubt about that. The state's proof of that is proof that he wanted, needed financially keep his wife alive. It would have been uh, financially detrimental to him to concoct a plan to deliberately take the life of his wife. 
Harvey attacks the state's case that Tex took his wife to a hospital that was farther away than nearby Grady Hospital, costing Diane valuable time. And remember, there was no other suggestion. Let's go here, let's go there. He just said, I made a decision to go to Emory. I've been there before, and you go where you know. And as a matter of common sense, what's your first reaction? Your first reaction is to go where you know. Harvey also brings up the remaining charge of influencing a witness, addressing Danny Jo Carter's testimony that Tex told her to say she wasn't driving the car that night. Influencing a witness? What did Tex say to Danny Jo at the hospital and why? Was he misleading her to talk to you about, about that? Listen to what the charge actually says. Did unlawfully and knowingly engage in misleading conduct towards Patricia, Diane Carter, by instructing said Patricia Carter, Diane Carter, to tell law enforcement officers that she was not present when he shot Linda, Diane McCartney. By instructing her, not you could have, you could say, but you, 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 you must say, I'm instructing you to do that. I'm forcing you to do that. What was their response? I can't lie. Tex says, I'm not asking you to lie. And that was the end of it. Never to be heard of until five or six months later, when all of a sudden it comes back up. What she did say, Ms. Carter, was that he hated for me to be drug into this mess. Because otherwise, you know, what happens? Two people in the car, she shoots herself through the back, somebody else is in the car and shoots her through the back. That was never, never going to be the position. It couldn't be. There was no way it could be. Um, so this count, count five, the way it's indicted, he was not misleading her. He did not ask or instruct her to lie. That case, that count, I think is an easy count for him. Harvey goes on to condemn what he calls all the rumors surrounding the case. We do not convict people on the clouds and fogs of speculation, but on the bedrock of fact. That's what we do. Clint Rucker then stands before the jury one final time for the prosecution. He begins by placing a large photograph of Diane McIver on an easel in front of the jurors and asks in a quiet voice, who? Who will stand for the living earth who was murdered in all of us? Who will stand for the living earth who is now dead without her own? Who will stand for the little girl who came from humble means? Who will stand for the little girl who is all of her dreams? Who will stand 
for the little girl who achieved much success? Who will stand for the little girl whose love for Austin was endless? Who will stand for Diane MacGyver? She knew betrayal, hurt, and pain. He was just coveting her money again and again. Rucker then argues that Tex MacGyver planned and carried out the murder of Diane MacGyver in order to maintain his lifestyle. We started out by telling you that this case was all about the defendant's attempt to maintain an image of wealth and power. You see, he got that ranch back in 1996. Y'all know he was from Texas. And he tried hard to create a Texas-like environment at that ranch. Bought him some cows, some horses. She gave him the money and they built a saloon. Made a bunch of improvements to the property. It was looking pretty good. He was inviting all his friends out. He goes from being Claude MacGyver to For more than an hour, Rucker reviews the prosecution's evidence in the case, focusing on Tex's financial turmoil and the ongoing disagreement between Tex and Diane about the ranch in their wills. Rucker highlights what he characterizes as Tex's lies about what happened that night and how those lies persisted in the weeks following Diane's death. And he underscores... There's no way Tex, an experienced gun owner, could have accidentally shot and killed his wife. He wants you all to believe, right, that he could never intentionally shoot his wife. He wants you to believe that it was an accident. He doesn't really know that much about guns. So he told the police department, I ain't buy that gun. Woo, so long. It was just, I had it just on my lap. I was handling it. And it just went off. Why would he lie about that? It's because he is guilty. He is guilty. Before ending, Rucker reminds the jurors what Diane McIver told Dr. Suzanne Hardy at Emory the night she was shot. When Dr. Hardy asked her if she wanted to see Tex, Diane said no. Diane knew she was going. She said it to her over and over again, am I dying? Am I dying? <laughs> We've talked to the folks. They'll tell you, you know, especially older people, they know you know. And so she asked her a question. Listen, you told me that it was an accident. Do you want to see your husband? And she said, Before the jury is left to deliberate, Tex McIver's defense team asks Judge Robert McBurney to give jurors the option to find Tex guilty of misdemeanor involuntary manslaughter instead of murder. But Judge McBurney denies the defense request. In addition to aggravated assault, possession of a firearm in the commission of a felony, and influencing a witness, the charges of malice murder and felony murder remain. When the case is handed off to the jury, 
it quickly becomes clear that there will not be a quick verdict. 24 hours pass, during which time the jury has a handful of questions for the judge, the one that captures the most attention. If the jury finds Tex not guilty on all other counts, can he still be guilty of influencing a witness? Really an amazing moment in this trial for Tex MacGyver. The jury sends out a note, and now, from my perspective, if I'm the prosecutor, I'm praying for a hung jury because of what that note said. It's the first time in all my years of covering these big cases I've ever seen a jury give the verdict before they give the verdict. Court TV lead anchor Vinnie Politan, who was covering the trial for 11 Alive at the time, thinks the jury was tipping its hand. And when that happened, it was like a shockwave. It was the it was it was like, oh, are you kidding me? They are going to find Tex MacGyver not guilty. This guy's gonna walk. Does this mean Tex is walking? Not necessarily. It means that they're considering it, but it doesn't mean that they've made their decision. Jurors also ask if they can return to the SUV, this time with the gun that was in Tex's hand when Diane was shot. The request is eventually granted, and the jurors take turns getting in the front seat, then the back. Our producer Ann and photographer Jefferson were there when it happened, and I spoke to them when they got back from court. They split up into groups of two. One juror went to the front seat, one juror went in the back seat. Just like Danny Joe and Tex and replayed that scene. Were they handling the gun in? Yes, um, the person who was always sitting in the back uh, where Tex would have been sitting, they brought the actual gun with them. Could you see any sort of reaction? I saw some of the jurors who got into the driver's seat were like looking back and looking into the rear view mirror. I'm assuming to check and see if they could see the gun from where they were. But at the end of the day, with the weekend arriving, still no verdict. On Monday morning, April 23rd, the jury continues to deliberate. Today could be the day we've been patiently waiting for a verdict, and today marks the fourth full day jurors will deliberate the controversial murder trial to decide whether Tex MacGyver acted with... And later that day, word finally comes in. The jury has reached a verdict. The room is silent as Judge Robert McBurney is handed the decision. Juror 20, I would like you please to publish the verdict, which means read the verdict into the record. On count one, murder, we find the defendant not guilty. On count two, felony murder, we find the defendant guilty of felony murder. On count three, aggravated assault, we find the defendant guilty. On count four, possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony, we find the defendant guilty. On count five, influencing a witness, we find the defendant guilty. We begin with breaking news from the Tex McIver murder trial. After four days of deliberations, the jury has convicted him of felony murder in the shooting death of his wife, Diane, along with aggravated assault, possession of a firearm while committing a crime, and influencing a witness, but he was found not guilty of malice murder. If you saw Tex MacGyver during that moment, um, you could tell he was completely blindsided by all this. He looked different than he has looked throughout this entire case. Um, really a shocking, shocking turn of events here. And then they put him in handcuffs and they take him out out of that courtroom. 
Thank you, Juror 20. You can take a seat. Deputy Murphy, if you would please get the verdict form to Mr. Rucker and then to Mr. Harvey. And, and it all came down to intent. This jury said we can't agree on intent for counts one, two, three, and five. So a lot of us looking at that said, oh, they can't agree on intent. That's what this case is all about. Was it an accident or was it intentional? But in the end, what this jury did find is that he intentionally committed an aggravated assault with his weapon, but did not intentionally kill her. The felony murder, you get to a felony murder conviction because he was convicted of aggravated assault and she died during the commission of the aggravated assault. So this jury is saying that Tex MacGyver did not intend to kill his wife, but wanted to assault her with that weapon, and then she died as a result of that assault. Does this verdict make sense? It, it doesn't make sense, but I understand they wanted some result. They didn't want to accuse him of intentional murder, so they accused him of sort of unintentional murder. The jurors were confused. The last couple of questions they asked were all about intent. They couldn't figure out what it meant between the first charge, the second. They were confused, and then they went in, and they made a compromise. About 15, 20 minutes ago, we talked to two jurors that were on their way out, and there were three takeaways from speaking with them. One is that they just didn't buy the argument that guns just go off, that they said that his finger was on the trigger and there was a reason behind that. The second is that they took their job very seriously. There was one gentleman, one juror that said that one day he was on the uh, the camp of innocence and the next day he was on the camp of guilty. And third, one of the jurors, jury 61, said that she actually chewed, this, chewed out the state saying that they should have done a better job at presenting a case that they so they could have found them guilty on all charges. Take a listen. Because there was a lot of things that the state did not present to us to where as though we had to read in between the lines and fill in what they did not give. And trust me and believe me, I-61 chewed the hell out of the state because they did not give us any, really any evidence to go by to, to present malice or murder. Vinnie Politan and 11 Alive legal expert Latonia Hines say the jury just didn't buy the defense argument that it was all an accident. So the defense in this case is that it was an accident, that he did not intend to fire the weapon. And the question is, how does a gun accidentally go off? Can a, a gun like this be accidentally discharged that way? Is that plausible? Is that reasonable? And... Ultimately, the jury finds no, that it's not plausible, it's not reasonable that the gun would accidentally go off. He intended to fire the weapon. Um, for this jury, the, the big issue was, did he intend to kill Diane or just, did he just intend to shoot her? And that's all part of, of the um, very unusual conclusions of, of the jury in this case. But whether or not the gun accidentally goes off is crucial, crucial, because it is the defense to the case. The entire defense is that the gun is accidentally fired. But how does that happen? Can that really happen? And uh, the testimony at trial um, certainly didn't convince the jury that that was a reasonable explanation. If you followed what was said to have occurred, it seemed very hard for it to happen. And I think that was something that was very... That that detail in itself was very impactful for purposes of a jury, because if you if a juror in their mind cannot figure out how that could happen that way, 
it's easier for them to go with what the prosecution's thought process is, even though it's not the burden is not on the defense. It's just that the the prosecutor's thought process seemed to make the most sense. But to be able to not believe them, you would have to believe what the defense was saying. And that was harder to do. 11 Alive legal expert Daryl Cohen. I was very disappointed as a person, not as a defense lawyer or as a former prosecutor, but as a person, because I thought it was an inappropriate verdict. I thought it was wrong. I thought it should have been involuntary manslaughter. But when you have a trial and you are waiting for a jury to make a decision, whatever their verdict is, is what you have to live with. I think what really happened here to Tex MacGyver is that he was drinking, he knew he was drinking, he knew he was not supposed to be handling a gun when he was under the influence, and when he arrives at that hospital, he knows this is a problem. You cannot be under the influence, handling a weapon, and then discharge that weapon and shoot someone and not be held criminally liable. Tex MacGyver took what was an accident, but not an accident where he's not criminally liable, but an accident where it might be involuntary manslaughter. And then through all his actions after the shooting, made it look like a murder. He took an accident and then made himself look like a murderer. And I think that was the the downfall for Tex MacGyver, was trying to limit his criminal liability for an accident because he's handling a weapon while under the influence and he then sort of framed himself for murder. Outside the courtroom, the DA and prosecutors share their feelings about the jury's verdict. We would like to say to Diane, we hope that you are watching and we hope that you felt that we stood for you and we stood for the things that you represented. Texas attorney Don Samuel comments just briefly. Do you have any reaction to the verdict, sir? No, not right now. Do you have any plans to appeal? Of course. Sorry. Um, any response from the jury? Did they say anything? I didn't talk to them. Oh, you didn't have an opportunity to talk? No. A lot of people said that the jury gave you clues of how they were going to potentially react based on the questioning. Did you have any idea where this was going to go? I'm not in the deliberation room. There's no way for me to know. Many who know Tex react strongly to the verdict. One of the McIver's neighbors in Buckhead is shocked, and he isn't alone. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I just like someone hit me in the stomach when I heard it. I just couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't believe it, you know. Yeah, I don't think he murdered her. I think it was a terrible, terrible accident. I really do. How would he know what was going to happen? You're going to shoot to a seat and hope you hit the right organs, you know? That's not, that's not murder. For the McIver's close friends, Jane and Andrew Ward, the verdict doesn't make any sense at all. I think we first have to acknowledge we lost Diane. And whether something's fair or not to text is secondary to the fact that we lost Diane. And she's not here anymore. And she had a lot of living and fun left to do. And so it... it Seems very childish to say, well, that wasn't fair. But we we understood that some second will was discussed, that she wrote a second will. Because what's the motive? 
oh, well, she wrote a second will and she took him out of it and that's why he did it. But no one ever presented a second will. No one ever showed where this second will was, let alone what was written in it. Mm. So how on earth could that be presented in a trial? Mm. And then also the fact that why isn't anybody standing up and sharing how amazing these two were together? I've never seen a couple as much in love as these two. It was real. It was really real. This impression of he planned the whole thing and maliciously murdered on purpose because this will was going to cut him out of something that he owned anyway before they got married just didn't seem to resonate. It's hard. It's very hard to believe. So I was astounded that he was found guilty on that. And, And the look on his face... I think Tex looked a bit ambivalent about it. I I don't know what he was thinking inside, but I'm not sure his brain was registering what his ears were hearing. In the days that follow, some of the jurors speak publicly. One says some of them wanted to convict Tex on the malice murder charge, but at least half of them felt like they didn't have the evidence to reach that decision. And we hear more from Juror 61. Is there anything Tex MacGyver could have said to make you believe it was an accident. He could have actually told us what happened in the car, but I don't think that would have changed anybody's mind because, like I said, a revolver gun does not just go off by itself. Why do you think Tex MacGyver asked Diane for the gun? He said it was a lot of people outside, homeless people, or as they say, Black Lives Matter. He was kind of nervous. Did you believe him when he said that's the reason why he wanted the gun? Not really. But do you think he was legitimately afraid of what was happening outside? He said he was. I know he said that. He said he was. Do you believe it? No. Did you believe his story that he told about falling asleep right here on the same road we're driving right now, Piedmont Road? Some of us said, and I was one of them, he could have dazed off into the twilight zone but into a deep sleep where as though you did not know you still had the gun in your hand, no. Do you believe that he was aiming the gun at Diane when it went off? He had to be, because if he was asleep, he could have put it in the downright position. He could have put it in any position besides pointing that gun at her back. Was he awake when the gun was fired? He had to be awake. Did he squeeze that trigger on purpose? We didn't come to a conclusion that he did it on purpose. We came to a conclusion that he was reckless with the gun. What made you find him guilty of aggravated assault? What was it that he did? He intended bodily harm to another. You do not believe that when he intentionally shot Diane MacGyver, he did not intend to kill her? The state did not prove to us that he had intent to kill her. But to wound her, he did? Yes. Should Tex MacGyver die behind bars? I don't wish death upon nobody, but if that's justice, then yeah. So it's to me, it's fascinating that you could believe someone intends to shoot their wife in the back, but doesn't intend to kill them, just wants to hurt them. But that's what the, that was the verdict they came to. Some would argue that it's 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 inconsistent with the evidence. You know, if if he if he intentionally fired the weapon then wouldn't he have intentionally intended to murder her? I mean, you shoot someone in the back. Aren't you trying to kill them? But that's not what the jury said. So when you think about trying to understand why this happened, why, that gets to the the heart of of the verdict in this case. Because this verdict was that he intentionally shot her. That's what the jury said with their verdict. 
if this was an intentional shooting, which is what the jury said, why would you do it in this way? Why would you do it in front of one of her best friends? Why would you put a witness there to what you're saying is an accident? It makes no sense. It really makes no sense. You are shooting and killing your wife with a witness eight inches away from her who can see and hear everything that is happening. But this is an argument that the, the jury didn't buy. And this is what the defense wanted this jury to understand, that this it would make no sense to intentionally shoot her in this way. If you're going to try to set up something, why not do it when you're alone at the ranch, when there are no witnesses? Or do it in some other way. Why would you do it this way? But this is an argument that the, the jury didn't buy. And this is what the defense wanted this jury to understand. That this, it would make no sense to intentionally shoot her in this way. If you're going to try to set up something, why not do it when you're alone at the ranch, when there are no witnesses? Or do it in some other way. Why would you do it this way? Before Tex is sentenced, Vinnie Politan sits down with the prosecution team at the Fulton County Courthouse to answer some lingering questions about the case and the verdict. How many people sitting here right now believe at, at that point that the jury was going to send Tex MacGyver home free? I was just kind of holding my breath at that point. Yes, we were all holding our breath, but we, we knew we still had felony murder. What was the most unexpected moment of this trial? I was actually surprised that Tex MacGyver didn't testify. Really? Mm -hmm. Thought his arrogance would put him on the witness stand? Mm -hmm. I thought his arrogance. I thought he. Uh, I think he's a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that he believed he was smarter than any one of us. Give me one question you want to ask Tex MacGyver. What were you going to do when Diane stopped giving you money? What's your unanswered question about what happened? Why did he put the gun in a plastic grocery bag? I have my own theory about it. But if I could have him explain it to me, I'd like to hear what he has to say. I think he destroyed the will, but when did he do it? I'd like to know where it fit in in the timeline. Should Tex McIver die in prison? I, th I think it's the punishment that most appropriately fits the crime. Prominent Atlanta attorney Tex McIver will return here to the Fulton County Courthouse today, this time to be sentenced in the death of his wife, Diane McIver. Back in 2016, she was shot in the back as a pair rode through Midtown. On May 23rd, Judge Robert McBurney prepares to hand down Tex McIver's sentence for the murder of his wife, Diane McIver. But before he learns his fate, Tex decides to make a final statement in court. And it's not what anyone is expecting. If we can hear you, Mr. McIver, from right there, that's great. If um, it's hard for the court reporter to hear you, we'll get you over to the podium. But let's try it right there, please. Tex begins by talking about the support he's received, stating that the outpouring of support has been beyond anything that any of us expected. He talks about letters from supporters around the world, one from Dublin, Ireland, and another in Perth, Australia. In addition to those that I have never met, I have a list that I went board the court with of about 60 individuals locally that have been very helpful to me in terms of their support. <laughs> Neighbors bringing me food, monitors, and house arrest. Friends delivering Chick-fil-A, one of my 
huge, huge favorites. One of the things I miss the most, I guess, about food in jail. But they've been remarkably kind to me. Uh, even non-lawyers are often the right amicus briefs, which uh, I find a little bit astounding. Tex then mentions his family, his sister, his grandchildren, and his godchildren, of which he says there are approximately 23 as far as he can reconstruct and remember. And then finally, he brings up his wife, Diane McIver. Um, the luckiest day of my life is when Diane chose me. And in doing so, we started a relationship that was... Uh, can only be described as amazing. We loved each other like small children, unabashedly devoted to each other and so on. And what many people could not possibly know, because it's never been revealed, and I'm going to give up the secret today, we felt so strongly about it that when we were together so much that we actually had a secret among us. And that was that we would be different places, we'd look at each other, and we would say, sometimes even in unison, is this truly real? Is this real? And it was one of those, if it's not real, don't pinch me because this is the greatest dream I've ever had and I don't want to wake up. But is this real? Tex continues, describing his ability to connect with Diane without words. In fact, it became, if people were able to believe, telepathic. I could be on the other side of a room in an event, or I could be busy in our outback and my conscience would hear these words. Is this truly real? I would spin around, look to where she was, see her gaze, and know that she had telepathically communicated those words to me. Is this truly real? Wrapping up his statement, he talks about his wife leaving her earth suit behind. Since this tragedy, I have spent... 263 nights in a jail cell by myself, but not alone. She has joined me there. It's a presence, it's hard to describe, but she has left her earth suit, and after the, the three different ceremonies we had for her, two in Atlanta for celebration of life, and one in Texas for celebration of life, where we tried to say goodbye to her, she never said goodbye to me. And she's been there. It's as if she's on the other side of a curtain or in another dimension. It really is true that if you're that close to each other, and this is obviously my first experience with it, that they are there. They are absolutely there. And I've never felt alone in that respect. It has meant so much to me in that way. On this earth, she was my life and made me complete. And certainly not that way now. But if I might just say to her directly, because I know she's here, I feel her presence as I'm speaking to her. Darling, you have brought me more joy and fulfillment than few men on this earth have ever known. Thank you until we are together again. Because it is truly real. It is truly real. Thank you. Tex MacGyver's statement at the end of the case was beyond bizarre on, on many different levels. Uh, from talking about communicating telepathically with Diane uh, to something that to this day I still don't understand about Chick-fil-A and then, then thanking and acknowledging all the support he got from around the world. 
because this case, you know, streamed online. I mean, people around the globe were watching and following. And uh, in a case like this, sometimes there are people who think you got a raw deal. That, you know, you were wrongfully convicted and he was acknowledging all of this in this strange rambling statement um, that included a lot of things except some sort of acknowledgement or, or apology, some level of remorse for shooting and killing his wife. It was bizarre. That was absolutely like badly done. Um, and the reason why I said that was badly done and anybody can make a statement, but he, he talked about all the people who like sent him letters and that's what I mean by it was all surreal, but never once did you really hear him say, I'm so sorry that this happened. And it could have been said in a way that you still preserve your appeal part of it, right? You could have still said, I, I never wanted something like this to happen to to Diane. I never wanted any of this, but it was just very weird. It was almost like a weird acceptance speech of thanks to the people who supported him. Following Tex's address to the courtroom, Judge Robert McBurney reveals the sentence, speaking directly to Tex. I'll tell you what's what's m- most telling. You had as much time as you wanted to share with me um, what you thought was important for me to hear and I guess your audience to hear. Um, we heard about racehorses in Australia and Chick-fil-A and telepathy, a brief psychoanalysis of the male ego and, and ghosts. I didn't ever hear you say you're sorry for what you did. To me, that silence speaks volumes. Mr. MacGyver, the sentencing options are largely determined by the legislature in this case. The penalty for felony murder is life. I'm going to sentence you, count two, to a term of life with the possibility of parole. Count three merges into count two. Count four must run consecutive to count two. It must be five years. I will suspend those five years. Count five is a range of one to five. Excuse me. I will sentence you to five years to serve. That will run concurrently with count two. The sentence I just intended to pronounce is a sentence of life plus five with those five years suspended. Biting words from the judge to an Atlanta attorney convicted in his wife's murder, Tex McIver is sentenced to life in prison with the chance for parole. The strong message coming after we heard from Tex McIver in court for the first time, he did not testify during the trial. But his rambling, bizarre statement may be one of the most unusual moments in this case. Late feed anchor Vinnie Politan and his legal dream team breaks it on down for us. What did you think of Tex McIver's statement today? This was one of the most narcissistic things we've ever seen. Tex was wackadoodle. Never seen anything like it. It showed once again, all Tex cared about was Tex. What did you think of Tex talking about his telepathic communications with his wife, Diane? Absolutely just awful. How about when he talked about Diane's earth suit? Just absolutely insane. He may be setting up a defense so that he can be incarcerated at Central State Hospital. How about Texas Chick-fil-A chick? It was almost like he was doing an acceptance speech. Narcissist, narcissist, narcissist. 
No matter what Tex McIver had to say, a life sentence was inevitable. Tex would not be eligible for parole until he's 100 years old. In August, just a few months after Tex was sentenced to life in prison, a live auction and tag sale is held to sell the McIvers, Putnam County Ranch, and everything in it, from the couple's over-the-top Christmas decorations to Diane's wedding dress. Strangers would flood the McIvers' Shangri-La, trying on Tex's oversized belt buckles and Diane's diamond jewelry. The MacGyver estate is up for sale today, and earlier this week, hundreds of people already began showing up to get a preview of the auction. The estate sale will begin at, with bidding at 11 a.m. The items on sale range from in price from $1 up to tens of thousands of dollars. There will be furniture, clothing, farm equipment, housewares. Those are just some of the other items that will be sold. At noon today, that's when the MacGyver Ranch will be auctioned off. According to the auctioneer, it's an 80-plus acre piece of property with a home, a saloon, stables, and several ponds. All the amenities of somebody wants on a nice farm with, with close proximity to Atlanta, Augusta, Athens, and Macon. So it's got every, a little something for everybody here. But Texas' fight isn't over as his attorneys announce plans to file an appeal and ask for a new trial. Next time on Intent. We presented the option to the jury that he put the gun in his lap in the car. He had no intent to shoot, no intent to commit aggravated assault, no intent to murder his wife, but he put the gun in his lap, it was loaded, um, and then he fell asleep, and that that was negligent. To have a loaded gun in your lap in the back seat of a car was negligent. And as a result of that negligence, the gun went off and killed his wife. That, the jury was never told. If that's correct, that it was just negligence, then you can find them guilty of a misdemeanor. Intent, the Tex McIver case, is a co-production of Vault Studios and 11 Alive WXIA News in Atlanta. Will Johnson and Brian Weiss are executive producers with Vault Studios. Reed Redman produces, researches, and edits the podcast. Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland, mixes and edits the show. You can find me on Facebook at Caitlin Ross 11 Alive or on Twitter at Caitlin Ross one